0: If you're not currently driving a car or operating heavy machinery, try something with me. Close your eyes. Take a deep, slow breath. When you open your eyes in a few moments, see the world around you afresh. Imagine that you are unaware of any of the stories attached to any of the things that surround you. You're not afraid, it's nothing scary. It's just like a wave has come in behind you and washed clean from the beach on which you were walking, the footprints which had marked your journey to get here. Everything still works fine, you'll just be seeing it all over again for the first time. You will open your eyes to a blank page. No story, no journey, no myth no yesterday now go ahead and open your eyes what around you would most capture your curiosity if you didn't already know its story and its purpose we can reorder our world with our words and with the stories we tell ourselves and each other about how our world came to be and we can reshape, even misshape it for others too That's what authority is. The ability to write, to author reality. In this episode of Beyondering, we're going to meet a most curious man. Rob Bell is a wonderful person. By that, I mean curiosity and wonder are the defining characteristics of his approach to faith and to life. And his great skill is learning and maintaining a deep knowledge of the story of how we got here, balanced with preserving that wonder and awe as though he is meeting the world for the first time such as we've just practiced. So join us as we meet a man who has taken seriously the responsibility of being the author of his own story. Oh, and uh, you can have your memories back again. Shazam! Welcome listeners in podcast land, whether you're like a cat on a hot tin roof, a dog just waiting for your day, an elephant who never forgets, or a goldfish that... Wait, what was I doing? This is the Be Honouring Podcast, where we explore faith out of bounds.
1: And that was Lucas, and I'm Matt. Hopefully you can differentiate us by now. In episode one, we introduce you to the idea that every one of us wears a lens and that lens is made up of of all sorts of things. But for each of us, a really particular, a really unique set of factors that determine something, and that is how we see
0: the world. We want to show you the first lens that we're going to look at this series, curiosity. Now, you might be thinking, that's not a lens.
1: Curiosity is a lens because it's not assumed. Not everyone views the world with great curiosity.
0: Cheryl has worked 50 years of her life in the field of disability care and education. Recently she explained to me how when working with people who have limits on their capacity and skills for communication, care must be taken to avoid making assumptions that you know what is going on for a person assumptions which might limit a person's quality of life and really limits the expression of their very identity. Cheryl spoke about a man who was living in one of the supported homes she managed.
2: He used to put his fist through walls and things like that. I questioned why, what that behaviour was, you know, what was the source of that behaviour.
0: She noticed that among this man's prescriptions was a particularly strong sedative
2: And um, what happened was we took him to the doctor and had his medication reviewed, and he hadn't had his medication changed for 20 years, and he was put on that because he used to lash out an angry way, and so they just shoved him on a sedative.
0: Two decades. Sedated. But Cheryl looked further into the man's family history and discovered the event that put the decades since into perspective, the passing of his mother.
2: It was because he'd been an only child very close to his mother. And then when his mother died, his father didn't want to look after him anymore. So from uh, an only child, then he had to share accommodation with 20-odd other people. And there was never any grief counselling or recognition that he might miss his mother or anything like that. So naturally, he got angry.
0: Under the supervision of a doctor, the man's medication was adjusted over the following months, and his health was able to be more appropriately cared for.
2: What we saw was much a happier man. A, um, he was much more relaxed. You could talk to him. he could. Um, he just. A different person, I think.
0: but none of it would have happened if Cheryl hadn't first been curious.
2: You just cannot fake people and their behavior you you've got to look at the reason and um, see if you can find out why.
1: I have a good mate, Lance, who's a secondary school teacher, one who has this incredible respect and valuing of his students.
3: I've noticed something that is quite common in staff room banter, and it's around the tags and the labels that students get given. Things like lazy, inattentive, rude, Uh, they they just don't get it, things like that get said.
1: Lance too was tempted to buy into this energy. However, I had a moment one day when he just adopted this curious questioning posture.
3: There's a couple of girls in my year nine class, they began this habit, this, this very repeated behavior of sitting somewhere to the edge of the class, quite close to each other, and just whispering. It was a very frustrating thing for some teachers. He realised
1: that one of them had actually lost both their parents at quite a young age. The other was the ninth of ten kids.
3: As I was watching them, the, the artist and the poet, the orphan and the, the youngest different kid, I, I had this thought that, that this conversation must be so necessary. It must be so interesting. And this conversation must be one of the things that that sustains these girls, each of them, in their own way.
1: One day he approached them in the schoolyard and sensed in their body language, here we go, here comes the teacher. And he saddled up to them and just said, you know, I love what you two have between yourselves. It must be so cool to have this friendship. I so often find myself so envious of your conversations and and what it must be like to, to, to be able to and to want to chat to each other all the time.
3: ask myself questions like, what do they need? Or who are they really? Or what invisible thing have they brought with them to school that means that they are not able to do anything else except this thing that they're doing? I've often found that very helpful and it just seems to open up open up new ways for them to be and new ways for me to be. It lets me relax about things that I, ordinarily I should be really tense about and frustrated about, like whether they've got their work done yet or whether they're really listening to the pearls of wisdom that I'm giving them. Or, you know, a whole range of things I kind of loosen my grip on a bit, I feel more relaxed about.
1: Their experience as students was that they felt seen and heard in a new way. And what changed was was a lot, their energy towards him, his energy towards them. In the classroom setting, they were more responsive, they were more open to participation and also to discipline. And for Lance as teacher, his whole energy was, was much more gentle and embracing and open and, and less frustrated. Curiosity is the, the quality that scientists most depend on to, to, to throw them into new areas of discovery. And curiosity is the starting point for all artists.
0: I've heard it said that the most important phrase in, in scientific history is, huh, that's strange. So we're
1: going to interview someone whose almost hallmark characteristic is that of curiosity. His name is Rob Bell, a man familiar to many of you. He's a New York Times bestselling author and motivational speaker. He started out when he pastored a church at the age of 28. In 2011, Time magazine named Rob Bell on its list of the 100 most influential people in the world. However, something that we found curious is it's not always been smooth sailing for a bloke who for many has seemed to have it all.
0: So Beyondering is all about encouraging you to follow your curiosity, to bring it to the table, to wear it proudly. So in this episode, as we dive into our first interview of season two, we're going to ask you to strap on your curious ears as we dive in to hear about the lens of curiosity with Rob Bell. Well, Rob Bell, welcome and thank you for coming to be
4: My pleasure. It's great to be here.
0: First question I feel like I should ask. Um, with the, the writing of your book, Love Wins, when you did a speaking tour of that, did you come out to ACDC's Hell's Bells?
4: <laughs> I did not. Oh, remember. wasted <laughs> <Missed> opportunity. <laughs> opportunity. Disappointing. <laughs> Go back and do it again. <laughs> Let you down from the very beginning.
1: There's a question we often ask. Uh, all our guests, to kick off with, what for you is the point or purpose of the Christian story?
4: Uh, there's more going on here. We aren't just a collection of our cell synapses and biology. This insistence that the whole thing uh, has a, a beginning, middle, and maybe headed somewhere, mm-hmm. and that everybody can be a part of it, and that in spite of all the brokenness and fragments and everything that appears to be going the wrong direction, is there something pulling the whole thing forward? And whatever that something is, is it big enough, wide enough, ineffable enough that it can actually take the dark, twisted, broken things and somehow absorb them, swallow them up, co-opt them, embrace them in such a way that even those things become somehow beautiful, Mm -hmm. which is all very mysterious. Mm, yeah. So I, uh, even when you think about, uh, everything that you ate today to keep you alive was plucked from the earth. So it was severed from its life source. So even to keep living, you eat things that are dead. Um, your body was at 300 million cells die in an hour and yet your body produces 300 million new cells to replace them. So death and rebirth, uh, Death is the engine of life. It's the it's mm. the thing that's present in the very fabric of creation. The sun will set, then it will also rise again. In winter, everything dies, but then in mm. spring, it sprouts forth. Mm. So this death and resurrection is a biological, a cosmological, an ecological truth mm. baked into the whole thing, mm. which I think is interesting. So at the heart of this, this Christian story that you speak of is about a death that brings life, but that's actually how the whole thing, that's not a new idea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So when the story tells a story, it tells the story in language that people have acknowledged for thousands of years is how the whole thing works. Mm. It's not a weird aberration. It's not like, I just don't understand how that, what does that have to do with anything? Uh, It's It's reflective (laughs) of and in tune with Mm. everything. It's not a weird explanation. It's how the whole thing has always been working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I begin with what we can observe, Mm -hmm. and uh, you you begin with what you can observe, and then you try and name it. So essentially, when people talk about world religions, what they're talking about is naming systems. Attempts to give language to reality, and some naming systems are terrible, and some are more adaptive, and some are actually quite powerful. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't surprise us when naming systems overlap. Mm -hmm. I was just speaking at a federal prison in the States, And uh, the imam after came to my talk, and I had done with these. I taught these prisoners a bunch of Hebrew words, which was just made me laugh. And he's like, "Oh, this we have a word that's almost spelled exactly like that, and it means the same thing. And oh, we have a word. There's a word in the Quran for that. This is the word. It's spelled very similarly. Yeah, that shouldn't. I mean, that shouldn't shock anybody. The human beings have been trying to." give expression to the human experience and been trying to name ultimate reality for a long time
1: mm-hmm. yeah so you talked already about science ecology other religions <laughs> you've covered some territory in one Probably question <laughs> <Yeah>. in <two. laughs> i right. had to make up for that hell that's bells a <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: exactly. denial there beginning <laughs>
1: I, I would wager a bet that that's an emerging understanding that you've tripped over science you've learned something here you've heard something yeah you've rubbed shoulders with someone different from yourself Interesting. can you talk to us about how that's all integrated and evolved and emerged for you that sounds a bigger and broader story than perhaps what you may have
4: started well you with. know when i was a kid my parents would take us to church and i would hear the jesus stories and i found them really compelling mm. so i didn't um so whenever there was a center and somebody, the center had pushed somebody to the edges, Jesus moved from the center to the edges. Uh, when he was asked a question, he generally responded with a question. Like, how do you read it? How do you interpret it? So I, at an early age, that uh, I like that. It was almost like, you're going to have to sort this thing out. Everybody's going to have to sort it out for themselves. Yeah. So I never saw it as some sort of mind control, check your brain at the door. And I think my, my parents were also very, uh, I don't know, intellectually restless, maybe. They were always reading things, and, hey, uh, I remember my dad would tear out newspaper articles. He might find this really interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Jesus story, somehow it rang true to me at some level. And 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 the insistence, because I lived in a hierarchical world. There were the kids who were cool, there were the kids who weren't, there were the good students There were the good athletes. Everything was ranked in my world, and I was never at the top. Um, And the Jesus story kept insisting there were other ways to rank. Um, There were other things that were more important than what everybody had decided was important. And I remember, I distinctly remember uh, 12, 13, 14. That to me was good news. That was like hopeful. (laughs) So. I didn't, uh, I wasn't like, I didn't come through, uh, I know a lot of people were like, had like a catechism or a denomination or like a, this is, um, I heard these stories and they moved me at Mm. some deep level of the soul. Mm. Um, And I didn't ever, and then, but then I remember they would take us and we would go to a church service and I would think, this is, this is supposed to be a gathering about the big things, love, hope, grace, forgiveness. Why is it so boring? Mm. Seems like it takes more energy to make this boring than to let <laughs> this run around the room and do its thing. So, how can I we make love some... stagnant? How can we make hope bland? <laughs> so, so, I just had some sense like this thing, this Jesus story, is bigger and bigger and wider and deeper mm. and more dangerous and subversive than the system that claims it. Mm. I remember. Uh, there was a song by Prince um, called The Cross, Don't Cry, He Is Coming, like this really um, sparse Prince song. I remember hearing that one have been probably high school and thinking that there was more truth in that song. That just, just the idea somehow that some people over here have got it. And everybody else doesn't was just ridiculous to me from a young age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was so, always
1: there that sense that you so, can't claim. This.
4: Yeah, and I remember somebody. Um, I remember I was in a band and somebody said, "Well, are you a Christian band?" And thinking that I don't even understand that question. Yeah. And then pe- I would meet people who were in a Christian band, and I would who would say that, and I would think, "So you suck," because <laughs> I just didn't understand the idea that they're. So I would meet people who were who were very proud, and it was very important to them to be a part of this subculture, which I just didn't have any. Mm. I just, I didn't ever understand that. Mm. Mm. So um, science or art or all that always seemed like it was all fair game.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm so fascinated by your journey um, <laughs> to have moved into a space in which you start a church as you do. <laughs> yeah. And then a couple of years down the track, you look out and there's 10,000 people yeah. and then you release books and you didn't ever think you are an author. All of a sudden you got books and video series and yeah. you develop a popularity and a voice gathers that really enjoy what you're putting out. And then you put out a book with a ridiculously controversial title, Love Wins, which must be where <laughs> you went wrong. I mean, what were you thinking? Love Wins. But you put out some ideas that, were criticized and were unpopular to some of the circles that had previously gathered
4: around you. you know? Well, I, mean, I think Love Wins came out in 2011. In 2002, probably 2002, I did a whole, a series of teachings on uh, women's equality, how women <gasps> should be free. <laughs> women should be free to do whatever they're here to do. Like, why is that? Cause, because that's obvious. <laughs> and a group of people within the church that we had started Organized to have me removed. I would go speak places and there would be protesters out front. So by the time Love Winds came out, we were about a decade into protesters when I would speak places, people leaving.
0: So it was always part of your ministry, your pastor's uh, (laughs) DNA to to be pissing people off.
4: I remember doing a Christmas series of sermons against the war in Iraq Mm -hmm. at Christmas time. (laughs) That's a good time. And just realizing that there was a layer below what people believe about their their spiritual beliefs, but that there was this American religion Mm -hmm. of unfettered capitalism yoked with nationalism and patriotism with uh, an allegiance to the myth of redemptive violence and an inability to question military might and it's, um, unchecked use in the world that was like heat like I'd never seen. Right. I mean there are people whose kids weren't going to be home that Christmas because they were fighting in Iraq yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Did it get any harder to hold to what you'd believe, yeah. to hold to truth to stay on that journey?
4: I mean it always hurts to be misunderstood and have people say horrible things about you that aren't true, they've never met you that just, that just, that hurts mm-hmm. period. Because I remember there was a church that I'd been the church that I worked at before I started the church and they had written like a seven page single spaced paper against me, denouncing me, mm. and uh, a friend of mine was a pastor, and his church had written a paper against me, and I had asked, um, how long is your paper against mine?" Kampf? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> didn't think that was funny. The rise of Rob Bell's coming. <laughs> Just <Link>. this <laughs> bizarre world where people would not comment and say anything about actual bad things. Yeah. Your church has said, made no statements about human trafficking, mm. but you have to make a have to have public meetings about this book like ha- what a house of cards what a fragile mm. thing mm.
1: <laughs> so what do you perceive that to be about <laughs> love wins that's your dominant drive come on let's get on board where this is going and there's protesters there's hating there's denouncing why why does that happen for people particularly people of faith
4: the idea of a fullness of life that could be tasted and experienced right now was not what the what they were ever handed mm so the moment somebody says maybe you could rethink this and perhaps there's something happening right now that you could be a part of it's terrifying mm-hmm. the number of people fancy pants christian leaders who have said i'm totally with you but i can't say anything yeah that happens to me all the time wow. mm-hmm. they're like these 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 people in that world who are big shots mm-hmm. who are like i am completely with you but if i ever said anything i'll lose my job yeah yeah, yeah. So the I'll,
1: systems mitigating against
4: truth right, and freedom, like and, some, and some will just say it straight up. They wow. don't even mm. they even understand that it's that straightforward. Yeah,
1: mm. yeah.
0: I've heard it said not only um, for those people who are personally tied in and complicit in that in that system, but I've also heard it expressed a sense of distrust that actually our churches are spaces that are safe enough to hold differing ideas alongside each other would you agree (laughs) yeah
4: for a lot of people a different idea is terrifying Mm. i saw it in other pastors that they that there was a party line like the things you say that keep the money coming in and keep everybody all good Mm. pastors staying true um and I had met a number who were actually like, you know what? I'm reading this, and I'm wondering about this, and I have mm-hmm. doubts about this, and this new idea is just, blown. but I can't <laughs> yeah. say any of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching this split that they they had like the things that that they would w- were dying to talk about, mm-hmm. and then there was the game face. Yeah, mm. yeah. And and I I had seen that, and I I remember the first couple of times and I realized, oh, this is one of those moments where I either, I either split and then I, and then everything, and then the machine rolls on smoothly, Mm. or I choose not to remain split and I only express which is, which, which, which is true within me. Mm. And if I do that, that could go a bunch of different ways. Mm. And I, I distinctly remember and uh, Kristen and I would talk about this because we had this joke from spinal tap um that he's like you know I could have sold shoes um, you know would you like an eleven uh, I think you might like an eleven uh, um it went in doubt I could just always go sell shoes we had this ongoing discussion well if you do that there's that's gonna who knows a bunch of people might leave a bunch of people mm. if you write that mm. and thinking no this is the this is how it works mm. Mm. And if you blow the whole thing up and everybody leaves, that's the better route yeah. than to be one more person who just checked out at some point. Yeah, that was a distinct thing.
0: Some of the ideas, yeah, for instance, we've mentioned Love Wins and so on that, that you're naming and that you're putting out there. For you, that's, that's just all part of... Good Lord. That's grounded in the broad nothing tradition. There's
4: new yeah. in the... I mean, Love Wins... I mean, I understand that the assembling of old information creates new information, but that's sort of basic information architecture. But no, that book, that's those. there's nothing new about those ideas. Mm-hmm. Those are firmly in the center of the Christian tradition for literally thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So I actually never saw myself... You know, the word radical comes from the Latin radix. It means root. So a radish is a root vegetable. Like a radical isn't somebody who wandered off into the deep weeds. Mm-hmm. Somebody who went to the center. So I... I uh, never saw that I never saw it like there were these people in the center and then I wandered out into the edges and sort of I don't know. Mm -hmm. I actually just think actually the center was the edges. Mm -hmm. Interesting.
1: (laughs) So what helps you amongst all the all the noise, all the voices, what helps you go down as opposed to just stay on the surface to you know, what what drags you down deeper into the center?
4: You know, Jesus has this great line about I I came to bring you abundant or full or overflowing life, I think there's some, some from way back, like I wanted, I wanted to live and I wanted to really live and I wanted to really taste and I wanted to really feel. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to feel and be fully alive, and that means you're going to feel pain, you're going to feel your heart, your heart getting broken and joy and euphoria and all of it so something within me was i I think it's a great question somewhere along the way i think my i my job is not to settle (laughs) my wife and i will often talk about the mission like because for us the the this work we have our kids and then this work um that she's very much at the center of this work that we do will just like the mission and when we thought, what exactly is that? We're like, it's it's not settling. It's just following it to the center. It's it's whatever the next thing is where you're like, all right, let's go after that and see what that is, see what it looks like. Yeah. And then, I don't know, maybe four years from now, it'll be a book. Who knows? Awesome. <laughs> when I, um, I should probably back up. When the church started to grow, this feels like another lifetime, but um, there was this, institution that needed to be led and managed and it had budgets and people wanted to know what the five-year vision was and I never had answers to any of that I just couldn't I'm so institutionally challenged (laughs) and the thing is there were people who came there to work who were like great at it and they would be like okay I got 17 action items and I I would just be in awe of that because there are people who do that really well and somehow it helped me clarify the only thing I ever knew how to do was keep going and then try and give language to what I had seen and, and experienced. And Oddly the same
1: enough, process for belief, theology, understanding. Just keep asking the next question, taking another step.
4: Yeah. There was no grand plan.
5: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> and I would be completely interested in an idea and then I would just go down that rabbit hole for a while. Yeah. That's how it starts. It's like a, seriously, it's just curiosity. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I had framed a question uh, in preparation for this conversation around your journey from pastor of a massive church to now being beyond beyond the church or beyond the institutional church in that sense, you know, longer pastoring a particular congregation. I had one, using the New Testament image of stepping out of the boat, is that is that walking on waves?
4: Ah, you know, it didn't. It just felt like the obvious next step. Mm. My friends and I would always talk about setting a table for the whole world. So, to me, getting people into a church building always, it, it was like, that's the goal. Mm. There's got to be a bit there. No, I just never found that to be the height of the thing. Because mm. the whole point of the thing s- seemed to be an announcement that the whole thing is a temple. Mm. Which is generally, hey, uh, you know, you can go in, hmm. God can come out. Hmm. Um, and I actually think this is the thing at the heart of everything Jesus is doing that I think only a few people have really tuned into. But he comes to destroy the temple. So I think the apocalypse that he is speaking of isn't some left-behind end-of-the-world thing. Hmm. I think he's talking about, some of you alive will see it happen, I think he's talking about art and business Mm. And being a parent, and having a garden, and owning a shop, mm. it, and being a lawyer, and mm. being in healthcare—it's mm. it's all holy. Mm-mm. It's all sacred. Mm. We're all doing our part to make a new kind of world. Mm. Mm. Um, so I I got to the heart of a really large institution and was like, oh, that you can't. I mean, I got—I was like, was on the payroll of a church. You can't get more of the center. It's like this—the center. There's nothing in the center. Mm. All it does is push you back out. Yeah. Mm. So uh, it didn't feel it. It didn't feel because um, for many people they would be like, oh, you left the temple. No, no, no. I didn't leave the temple. Mm. I woke up. To what I'd already, what I'd been preaching for years, which is that the whole thing's a temple. Mm. So now I get to create spaces. Mm. I get to go do my thing in spaces Mm. and watch people go have very, have experiences in those spaces that are, to me, that's just joyous.
1: Yeah. But how do we do it? So church or gathering or, you know, the gathering of witnesses, it seems that one of the problems is once we gather we then need to protect against ideas we don't like or are out there. Or It seems that there's a curious energy that happens when we group. How do we actually gather, share life, do the sorts of things you'll talk about, but but maintain openness and spaciousness and, and don't become protective or defensive?
4: Well, if you have a firm center, then you don't need to spend your energy on border patrol. Hmm. And oftentimes there isn't a firm center, so all you're left with is patrolling who's in, who's out. Is this good? Is this not? This is the power to me of Eucharist, which is a table with bread and wine where you serve each other, and, and you're reminded of your belonging to a universal Christ body. Is if it's about a list, and for many people, especially in the Protestant tradition, you know it's 500 years and still protesting. <laughs> the problem with the pro- Protestant tradition for many people is it n- it labeled it what you believe. So this group has their nine and this group has their 11 statements and they have their 13 statements, which always will produce a group that's like, we only have one, man. We love our neighbor. We're not into all that complicated stuff. We just make it real simple. And then in response to somebody going, it's real simple. We just have one. Somebody else goes, well, we take it more seriously. We have 19. Mm -hmm. We actually have a systematic list and we'll spend two years teaching it to you. And so you just have this back and forth because it's always... Basically, how is your intellectual furniture arranged in your head? The really beautiful thing to me about a table with bread and wine is that's an experience. Do you want to come to the table? Mm -hmm. It locates the center in the mystery of a resurrected Christ and not a propositional intellectual framework, Mm -hmm. which is just much more interesting. Now the issue is, um, do you want to come to the table? Yeah so uh i would just begin with you're announcing good news and then you're bringing people good news whatever they need so what does this community need what are they people are lonely what people need education what people are traumatized by crime so we should bring them comfort and counseling and like let's bring them good news (laughs) Mm. I, i i think you're seeing more and more of that there's like a playful seriousness Oh, what would it look like to bring good news? Okay, well, let's do that then. Mm. All right, okay. Mm. And I think especially there's a there's an empowered realization that you can you can do this, and it's what the world needs, and it brings you great joy. Mm. So um, the whole how do you protect or how do you I I think you put something beautiful in front of people, mm. and let that be the thing that. I remember um, years ago we were helping out at an urban school getting people kid ment- kids mentors in this one family from the suburbs, uh, white family with two white daughters. They were helping out at this urban school and there was a young man that the dad was tutoring, and they got to really know and love this kid. And they had an opportunity to adopt him. And their friends in, in their small town were freaking out. Like, you can't bring this African-American kid into your home with your daughter. You can't. And the daughter sat the parents down and said, uh, either adopt him or stop taking us to this church where we hear these kinds of ideas about changing the world. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I love it. I love the idea of these girls going, don't expose us to this vision of the world. Yeah. Or then do the next right thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Either either live it or shut up about (laughs) it. (laughs) That's
6: awesome. I'm Beryl and I'm a Rotarian. Reading the Old Testament is worse than when I watch Game of Thrones I've been going to my church for 70 years I tried once to cleanse my chakra But I must have dosed. Are we really inherently sinful or foolish? I once dated a man whom I could well believe came from pain. And of course, hip-hop music led on to krank I don't mind the nudity I always park in the same spot I watch the news on TV or read it on my smartphone I sit in my same seat Snaps to you, sweetie
0: That's right. It's time for Beryl's Advocate.
6: Now, Robert, I've seen you on daytime television with that Oprah Winifred woman. I normally doze off in the afternoon when she's on, but your energy and enthusiasm kept me awake for the whole show. Plus, you're a bit of a spunk. Since appearing, some people have been saying you've moved from being a pastor to more of a self-help guru. How does a faith that's focused on unlocking the best life I can live connect with all the need and pain in our world? And will you be giving away any cars at your shows?
4: Well, Beryl, the really interesting idea is that you could be fully alive and you could know who you are and what you're doing here and that you fully alive would be really good for the world and you working through your pain and wounds and family of origin issues and whatever else is lurking in there, you experiencing freedom and healing and good news, you transcending and including, moving beyond and yet allowing your past to be healed, is actually good for the world. And that the goodness and the love and joy that will be welling up within you might spill over into the people around you. That's actually possible, I think. And I think that when people say the word self-help in a derogatory way, Mm -hmm. it is an intuitive sense that this thing this person is after is dead ends with them. Like they're just in it so they can be happy. But I think that everything is connected with everything else. That, uh, what's it say in Romans, that God who is over all, through all, and within... All this idea of the interconnectivity of all things and so I think that's the reason why in your well-crafted question the derisive use of the word self-help was sniffing out that sometimes it appears like it's just this person and it's all about them which at certain moments in our life developmentally all we have the capacity for is our own healing Um, the problem is when it stops there And the good news announcement is that you can heal and be more and more fully alive. And that that will move you into serving and giving and loving and generosity to others. And that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So I try and help people wake up to who they are and what they're doing here. Um, And I find discussions of labels and categories and titles so boring. I just want to, it's just so boring. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that at the end of the day you just do your work and you just go about doing your work. Let other people argue about what exactly you are.
5: I'm faith. And I'm any pigs like peace. The bottle was really heavy. If only the world was made of love. I don't think there should be rich churches, when there are poor people. I saw a book once, with drawings in it, about falling in love. I think you have to have eggs. Everybody loves baby Jesus, even my sister and both my cousins. But I love the free wives, because they Daddy says that the story of the universe is a really big story that is billions of years old. Would my little story make a difference in the universe's big story?
4: What a great question. First off, I love that your dad is talking to you about a universe that's billions of years old. I love that your dad has had his mind blown by what we're learning about the universe, and he's passing that wonder and awe along to you. So how great is that? (laughs) And now they say that our universe is a place that is continuing to expand and that every point within the universe is expanding. So, I don't know, my 45-year-old brain and your 5-year-old brain can get blown together on that one. (laughs) So the real mystery, and I mean this in like the big universe-wide mystery sense, is that you and I get to participate in this universe it's billions of years old that we get to try and help people we get in to, to make whatever it is we're here to make we can, you can grow up and have a family you can become a scientist you can teach history in a school you can plant a garden you can open a business that, to me, is the power of a universe that's billions of years old, as that means there are billions of possibilities. So if you begin with your wonder and joy and curiosity, uh, who knows who you might impact? Mm. And that's that's worth trying, if you ask me. Mm. Yeah.
1: Would you do anything different now with where you've got to in your understanding of the world, God, biology, ecology, <laughs> how it all fits together? Would you do anything different in bringing up your kids in terms of faith framework understanding and maybe even just a broader comment around what do people do in terms of offering kids something when a lot of the Christian story has proven to be unhelpful for some kids that they've ended up having to unpack it and deconstruct it and get rid of it
4: yeah, What do we funny, do I kids? just released a project called Launching Rockets, 17 observations on being a parent Cool. so I just put out this three hour audio series on observations about this very question um, first off a lot of people ask, like, what am I supposed to teach my kids? And I always begin with, you're always teaching your kids. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're using words. So um, if I ask you, did your parents' marriage work for them? Did they, did they see life as a trial to be endured or an adventure to go on? Um, did they settle? Like Everybody can answer those questions. So your kids will be able to answer those questions about you. So the greatest gift you give your kids is to be fully alive. A woman at, uh, at an event I did recently said, raised her hand. She stood up and she said, I have a question. You know, I have doubts. I don't th- I don't have the whole thing sorted out. And my kid was asking me questions. Should I, like, is it okay that I share with my kid what I'm going through? And I, and I just said, is there any greater gift you could give your kid? Yeah. And then um, my wife and I have this for a long time. We've had this. Our job is, one of our jobs is to give our kids as little as possible to unlearn. So if you think it's lame or toxic or not helpful, then why would you ever enroll your kids in it? And sometimes people are doing things and have their kids involved in things because somewhere along the way they're like, well, I guess this is what you're supposed to do. If you can't explain its benefits now, how will your kid later? Mm. And sometimes people have their kids doing things simply because they don't want to have to say to... Um, neighbors, friends, family, parents we're yanking our kid out of that school, that program, that whatever Mm -hmm. Um, and so this is about their issues and that your child is not a bucket into which you pour your unresolved anxieties about Mm -hmm. your life, the world, or your kid's future Mm -hmm. so when you work through your own things, your home because you're creating space, it's your home your home becomes a place that's just that much more Non-reactive, peaceful, um, and so oftentimes the parents' anxiety about the kid is actually their own anxiety about their own path. And then, it's interesting Exodus twelve, Exodus thirteen. When your kid asks you, "Why do we observe the Passover? What does it mean?" Say to them, "So, uh, in the in the ancient mindset, your job was to teach your kid how to ask questions." And the assumption was that your kids would ask questions and the questions were about meaning. Mm-hmm. And meaning is like the oxygen of the soul. It never goes away. Mm-hmm. That that was that was the, the deal. And a friend of mine, um, Rabbi Joel, who uh, his, his, our daughters play together and we hang out and we have so much fun. Um, the other day we were talking about this. And I was like, so there's no body of information that you're like sort of on edge. you got to get into your daughters. And he's like, the only thing is teaching them how to ask questions. He's like, that's it. I was like, so there's no like nine points? He's like, nine points? What are you talking about? All, he's like, the whole thing as a rabbi is teaching the kids how to ask questions. He's like, we have classes on how to ask questions at the synagogue. (laughs) So I've often met parents who have some fear, anxiety, paranoia that there's a body of stuff that they're supposed to get into their kid. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they'll say, I'll say like, what do you mean? They'll say, well, you know, like the Bible stories to which I've learned now just to say which Bible stories, you know, the important ones, like what important ones, like uh, Jonah and the fish and David and Goliath and Jesus healing people. How have those stories shaped you? I've never had a parent who had that anxiety, who had answers to. To those, yeah, interesting. Um, or they'll say, "Well, you know, like the doctrines, the important beliefs, like which ones?" Hmm. Well, you know, like um, you know, uh, you, uh, huh. I've <laughs> never had a parent who had that anxiety, actually give a coherent or clear or articulated answer. Interesting. So you realize this is a this is an amorphous anxiety hmm. about something that someone told you. So this is about you owning things. It has nothing to do with it's your kid. This is you having some sense like there was something that you were supposed to get or yeah. do. You haven't gotten or done it, and now you want to make sure that your kids get or done it. Um, and if it's truly something that you have completely missed out on, but you, could, you don't want your kid to miss out on, then why not do it with them?
5: Yeah.
4: I know people who went to a church, and volu- adults, and volunteered to teach Sunday school because they never had been to Sunday school and they realized they didn't know anything, so they just went with their kid. Now that's interesting, yeah. if that's somehow within you something. Mm. Mm. Um, but most of the parenting stuff is generally about your own mm. it's your own anxieties. Mm.
0: But that's you could expand that out. That's also true about the village of church in general, that our youth leaders are anxious or feel that anxiety to pass it on to young people in the <laughs> church, and the elders <laughs> in the church want to pass it on to the newcomers in the church and so on. Would you agree?
4: Oh, wow, I never thought about it that way. I do know uh, there's this ancient phrase, every table is an altar. The center is the table in the home. That's the center of life. Because when you eat, you're reminded of this gift of provision, and you sit around the table, and you talk, and you tell stories, talk about your day, you listen and learn from each other. And that the community was understood to merely... Even ideally, if you had some sort of community, it would simply reinforce whatever it was that the kid was picking up from you, the parent. So every table's an altar. Um, And this idea among some that you sort of farm things out to somebody somewhere is like, no. And the way that you teach your kid is you take them, you spend time with them as you walk along. You're in traffic and they see when you get angry. They see you in a... fight with your partner they see you stressing over money like they see how you handle the world Mm. Mm. that's how your kid learns Mm. Mm. scary thought (laughs) (laughs) my daughter's seven and TSA you have TSA here in America TSA is like the security that you have to go through to to get security yep and in America they're it's bonkers Mm. and I got I got angry the other day at the TSA agent But this ridiculous dehumanizing Patriot Act nonsense, Mm. I got angry. And my daughter, two days ago, we were talking about it. My seven-year-old daughter was like, yeah, dad got really angry and like dropped his bag on the floor. (laughs) And it was so great to like relive the experience with my daughter. And she was like processing, yeah, dad got angry at TSA. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't really get angry much. But when I do, I'm like, oh. You drop your bags. You drop bitty nails. And I was like, yeah, this is how it works as you talk about it. And yeah, sometimes you get angry.
1: I was just going to say the thing I appreciate most about your work and particularly everything is spiritual too, which is a cracker and free on YouTube, which, you know, we love all the more. Oh, that Um, means the
4: world. Great.
1: Stunning. And particularly I love, I mean, your work has helped do some deconstruction stuff around what gets in the way of love. You know, and it helps us move past that which isn't helpful. But more importantly, your work, for me, points us towards something. It helps us think about and show us what we're for. How would you yes. articulate what it's for, where it's going, what it's all about?
4: That the whole thing is moving to greater, greater complexity, unity, and depth. That the whole thing is actually an epiphenomenon, also called emergent phenomenon or holism, which is simply that the parts, when added together create something new that has qualities that can't be located at the earlier component level so you put a bunch of atoms together and you get a molecule but the molecule contains properties that aren't present with any of the atoms and so what you have now is this realization that you put a bunch of cells together which are which is a collection of uh, molecules you put together a bunch of cells and you get systems and these systems eventually emerged and formed a human being. So you are this collection of cells and that made these systems and yet you also contain you Mm -hmm. and the most central elements of you, your personality, your life, your opinions, your weirdness, your quirks, we cannot identify those in your physical body and yet they are central to the essence of who you are. So to me the fact that the universe continues to move forward because human beings are relatively new phenomena 13 billion years into a 13.8 billion year phenomena and then this question of well is the universe done or is there something new that hasn't yet emerged and whatever that would be it would be human beings making up something what do we make up Mm. uh And I think this is what the New Testament mystics were talking about, this body of Christ, this cosmic, universal body of humanity that somehow we all together form something new the universe hasn't seen before. Mm -hmm. To me, it's like the question. It's Mm -hmm. the question, and it's the... Because all of your greatest moments of love, joy, and peace have always been moments when you were somehow connected Mm -hmm. with others. Mm -hmm. Um, And So when we talk about we're one, and we're all in this together, and when... Someone on the other side of the world hurts, we all hurt, and to kill one person is to kill all of humanity. These are all ways we have been witnessing to the interdependence of what it means to be a human being. And that's, um, (laughs) that's, that's crazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's really, really intoxicating. Mm -hmm. And that there is some sort of joy animating the whole thing. Mm -hmm. That's just, to me, really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I know that anybody hearing this immediately has long lists of all the things that are wrong with the world. But I remember, I mean, I was in a village in sub-Saharan Africa where 27% of the people in the village are HIV positive. Whereas like little five-year-old kids, well, I remember seeing a five-year-old boy who was the man of the house because everybody older than him had died and he was caring for his three and two and one-year-old siblings. Mm -hmm. Um, Stuff where you're just, you don't even have your brain doesn't even know how to compute and yet i've seen such beauty and holiness in settings it just makes no sense Mm -hmm. it makes no sense that in that situation you would see things that were the things that have stuck with me for years Mm -hmm. so i've just seen way too much suffering that had other things lingering around the edges of it so Mm -hmm. i've just seen way too many things (laughs) That on paper, you'd be like, now that would make you just want to end it all. And yet it wasn't. It was just like like tapping into another dimension. The whole thing is way more upside down and weird than anybody thought. Yeah. And I'm in it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Rob Bell, thank you so much for coming Beyond Ring.
4: I loved it. It's great. You guys are It's great questions.
1: You guys are what? You didn't finish. (laughs) You guys are great questions. (laughs) Yes, we
4: are. You guys are great questions.
0: (laughs) Coming up next episode of Yondering, we try on the lens for research with American author, speaker, and independent researcher, Diana Butler Bass.
2: You know, I discovered that sometimes people with right doctrine talk a good game, but then act really poorly. And the people who don't necessarily have that same kind of doctrinal precision are busy doing the right thing. Mm.
1: Dinah is author of nine books, including her most recent book, Grounded, a fantastic book, and one that's actually featuring is the first book in the Beyonding Book Club, Book, Mind, and Thinker.
0: That's right, and you can join Bookline Thinker at our website www.beondering.com.au. It's not too late to join us on a journey of exploration and stretching that will last you one year but will impact you for a lifetime.
1: And while you're on our website, check out our live events that we're rolling out once per month, a whole range of different activities where fellow Beyonders will be getting together.
0: While you're at our website, you can become a Beyonder backer for as little as $3 a month. Why not help keep this show on the road and help us stretch out to new ventures, new ideas and new frontiers.
1: So join us next time when we take you Beyondering.
6: Beyondering was established with the support of the Progressive Christian Network of Victoria and Common Dreams. The podcast is edited and produced by Shaz Mullins and relies on the wisdom and coaching of Andy Bruff. To join the mailing list or to find out more information on the podcast, monthly Beyondering live events or book, mine and thinker, the Beyondering book club, go to www.beondering.com.au.